Well, hello, everybody. My name is Alex Seekins, one of the pastors here at Living Streams. I'm joined by Ryan Romeo, one of our other pastors, our associate pastor today. That's right. Yep. And this is going to be our second deep dive into the Gospel of Mark. We're kind of tracking roughly along the same pace that we'll be doing on Sundays. Uh, and we'll be doing it for the whole series of the Gospel of Mark once a week, hopefully every week, uh, you know. We'll leave ourselves some space to miss one if, if it happens. But well, we're two for two at this point. Yeah, two for we're two. Doing, yeah. We're off to a good start. We're doing great. We're so off to a good start. Uh, really what our intention to do is kind of track roughly, again, like I said, at the same pace that we're doing on Sundays and dive into a little bit deeper into the Gospel of Mark than we than we can on a Sunday morning. Allow ourselves some rabbit trails and um, mm-hmm. some side quests and things like that. So, Which we both enjoy. Thoroughly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. We're, we're, we're doing an interesting job on Sundays of the beginning of, of the Gospel of Mark, like mm. you and I both mentioned in the last two messages. January was kind of a sneaky style gospel of Mark first couple of chapters attack um, as we were really focusing though on uh, spiritual disciplines and prayer and fasting and Mm. spiritual warfare and things like that. And, uh, but we've officially been in the gospel of Mark now for two sermons. Uh, Mm -hmm. I preached our, our launch, uh, gave a lot of overview and we talked a little bit about what Jesus did with the Sabbath, just barely ever at all. And then you did a great job, uh, this Sunday, bringing us through chapter three. Um, but I'm wondering, uh, just to kind of orient us a little bit better than, than we have yet. Uh, maybe you could kind of, Ryan, give us a bit of a summary of really chapters one, two, and, and maybe if it feels valuable, uh, a quick flyover. Of what sure. You yeah. I mean, I, I hit a lot in this weekend with chapter three, except for the unforgivable sin, yeah. which is kind of a big, a big topic. Yeah, but uh, I, I actually don't think it's as big of a topic as it could be. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we started in the fasting and prayer season um, because Mark pretty much the fast paced nature of Mark, he jumps straight into mm-hmm. Jesus preparing for ministry. Uh, some of the other gospels slow down and say, here's the birth of Jesus, or, you know, even here's the birth of, of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And, mm-hmm. uh, but Mark just basically jumps straight into, here's the story. Here's John the Baptist going out into the wilderness, wilderness, uh, the Eremos that we talked mm-hmm. about a lot, that sort of, um, that quiet seclusion with the Lord. And that's where John is out doing his ministry. Uh, Jesus begins his ministry in the Eremos as well, in the wilderness. And um, and so all that sort of first chapter, when we were talking about it in our fasting and prayer season, it made a ton of sense to really chronicle what did Jesus do? He, he began his ministry um, out away from people, really seeking the Lord for 40 days, fasting, um, praying, um, deep into spiritual warfare, uh, which Matthew is a little bit more detailed in what happened out in the wilderness, mm-hmm. but Mark absolutely talks about, you know, the spiritual warfare that happens. Um, and that is really where Mark just jumps in. And by the end of chapter one, Jesus is already doing ministry, you know, mm-hmm. where some of the other gospels, you're like, maybe you get through, you know, uh, the, you know, the chronology of like him being born and what happened and all of that. But by the time we get to the end of chapter one, Jesus is already out doing ministry Mm -hmm. and he's healing people. And there's already crowds that are starting to come around him. He's starting to get known for what he's doing. Um, 
you get into chapter two and, um, and Jesus is doing ministry and he, uh, starts to call disciples to him like Levi and, um, and Mark talks about, I can't remember who else he calls in chapter two, but, um, he really starts pulling in, uh, and locking into the ministry that he's doing. Um, and it's, it's so interesting because, uh, Mark really is, and we've talked about this before. It's such a, and again, I think it's good for us to just kind of repeat these things to yeah. remember these things about Mark, but it's a fast paced book. He is really like everything in Mark is like, let me give you the high points as we're going to the death, crucifixion and potential resurrection, mm-hmm. clearly intimated resu- resurrection yeah. at the end of uh, at least what we we know as the the uh, original ending of Mark. And, yeah. um, but there is that sort of fast paced nature to it. And, and Mark is very, like, he's very guttural in his language. He talks a lot about how Jesus feels, talks a lot about, um, the humanness of Jesus. Uh, one of the things I was, one of the stories I was talking about, uh, from, uh, from Mark three is, uh, when he heals the man with a withered hand and Mm. he looks at the Pharisees and it says he was angered, like he was angry at them and he was grieved at their hardness of heart. So he's like sad, like and Mark is going out of his way to say this was like Jesus was fully into the human experience. Yeah. He wasn't just this God spirit that came down and was mm-hmm. just this sort of superhuman person that never felt anything and always did, you know, like what we would think is as clean and nice and good. Yeah. And um, he was good, but um, but he pushed the envelope and he he was angry at times and, and that humanness of, of Jesus really comes through in the gospel of Mark. And it's funny as we've been going through it for these months. Um, I, I don't know if it's fair to say like Mark is my favorite gospel, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's become a a book that's a lot more near and dear to me that, that I, than before I started studying it. Yeah. That's been my experience too. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, as I was studying and I was I was learning about how yeah there were there were particularly when you talk about those those last verses in the Gospel of Mark and it's interesting that it ends at sixteen eight and instead of sixteen uh, twenty and you know one one hypothesis right as far as what happened there um, which again like I talked about in my message I'm I'm of the opinion that Mark. Uh, Perhaps ended it there on purpose, um, but yeah. I'm not certain. Uh, really, any of the, any of the a literary cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it was intentional and beautiful, and um, and uh, but you know, which I unpacked that pretty well in my message. But but the you know one of the one of the theories is well, you know, there were other verses and they got lost. Um, and part of the, one of the things that makes that a, a viable hypothesis is that there were long stretches of the time where the early church didn't. Um, I don't want to say neglect, but for lack of a better word, where they might have neglected the Gospel of Mark, because Luke and Matthew unpack so much of the Gospel of Mark. In fact, yeah. there's only 24, 20 or 24 verses that you can find in the Gospel of Mark that cannot be found in at least some form, hmm. uh, with with or without altering, either directly or slightly altered, yeah. in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew. You can reconstruct a lot yeah. of Mark um, from the gospel, which, which yeah. is, you know, one of the handful of reasons why people feel fairly confident in saying Mark was probably 
the source material, the 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 beginning yes. scaffolding for yeah. for Matthew and Luke. Saying, "Oh, let, let's start with Mark, and I'll tweak a couple of things here where I want to highlight something different." Or yeah. where Matthew I wanna... really like it. He like dives a little bit more into the teachings of Jesus. There's a lot more of like it's like you could take Mark and kind of explode it out, and it yeah. seems like Matthew's filling in some details. Yeah. Luke's filling in some other details um, that he he deems important. Yeah. But yeah. Clearly, and the way it stands currently, our understanding with Mark is it was the it was the first gospel, yeah. and, it, and it shows. Yeah, you know, and 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 to the the point I was trying to make was you know it, there was such a stretch of time that the early church was primarily saying, hey, Mark is kind of the cliff notes, so let's stick with uh, with Matthew and Luke, mm. and and so it, it, it's entirely possible that maybe at one point there might have only been one copy of Mark, uh, yeah. and it may have been damaged. Um, you know, again, perhaps someone removed some verses, perhaps they were, they were unintentionally damaged, which would make sense because you have a scroll and it's wrapped mm-hmm. up and what's going to get damaged first. It's what's on the outside and what's on the outside. Well, the last section. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah. it's, it, that's, that's a viable theory. Again, I'm, I'm 60% on the side of intentional, yeah. you know, literary decision that Mark made to stop it. At it does. Eight. I mean, and it does make sense. Um, I mean, when you know the story of Mark, mm-hmm. uh, again, it's in Acts 12 through 15, you see Mark kind of pop in and out. Um, but Mark was out on missionary journeys with Paul mm-hmm. and Barnabas, his cousin, most likely somebody in the family, yeah. you know, um, and then he goes out again with Barnabas after there's that split between Paul and Barnabas, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so it would make sense to me that that Mark um, and also have this kind of special relationship with Peter. Clearly, he went out on the on the road and was t- preaching the gospel and mm-hmm. uh, was a part of missionary journey. So yeah. this book as a missionary tool to yeah. say, hey, here's the life of Jesus. And we end on this cliffhanger of like, hey, the tomb mm-hmm. is is empty. What do you think happened? Like that clearly is bringing in, like I said, the, the intimation is so strong. Like yeah. you wouldn't read that even up until that chapter, that verse and go, yeah. oh, there was no resurrection. No, yeah. like not only was that cliffhanger leaving you enough to go, okay, you've got to do something with this empty tomb. Not only that, but like before that, all the prophecies about Jesus and mm-hmm. the times that Jesus said, I will... Yeah. I will go to Rome and I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to come back. Yeah. Like that's said multiple times. In yeah. So you, it being used as a kind of literary missions tool yeah. is kind of interesting to me. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, who knows? Maybe yeah. there was one copy that was going around and then eventually, you know, Luke calmed down yeah. a bit and, you know, Matthew or, or Mark calmed down a little bit and stayed someplace and Luke and Matthew looked at it, you know, who knows? Um, but there is, there's enough that we, we would call them the synoptic gospels, yeah. which is, these are very, there, there's, there's a synergy between these through mm-hmm. these three initial gospels, um, that they have enough in common that they, they're kind of set aside from, yeah. uh, John, not that John's not important, but they, but we call them the synoptic gospels. Yeah. So if you hear us say that, that's, that's what we're referring to. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's maybe worth saying just cause we're deep diving, right? Yeah. This thing that I don't think we've mentioned and I don't have much to say on it. Uh, but you know what is it? Is it the 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 Q text? Is that what they call sure, it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know yeah. this other theory, which is that you know it seems the three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are so similar. And yeah. essentially, textual critics when they look at it, they say, well, it's it seems either 
um, Matthew and Luke were basing things off of Mark, or there's this theory that has a lot of traction, but I think it's kind of an out there theory. Yeah. Um, it, you know, that, oh, there was a fourth document that they all, that all three of them were using. Yes. And that's what Mark based his off of. And, and, but I, uh, when you look at some of the numbers of how much of Mark is happening in the other two, yes, it, yeah. to, to me, it seems like, and I don't know, I haven't heard someone make a really solid, um, what is it, text queue or queue yeah, or whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. Manuscript queue yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, basically they're saying there's some other source document, some other gospel that was written that all three of them are getting information yeah. or from. Or source but, of notes or something, you know. Yeah, but the interesting thing is, but I it's, mean, it's you have so much, so much original... Again, the thing that sets the New Testament apart from... We're taking a real big step back here, but yeah. uh, but the, the thing that separates the New Testament from anything else in history is the amount of original manuscripts that we have, yeah. you know? And I think there's over 5,000 original manuscripts just in Greek. Mm-hmm. I think there's an additional 10,000 that are in other languages. Yeah. And it's... It's difficult, I mean, to, to throw a theory like a Q document out like that when we haven't found anything. Yeah. When you have that much documentation, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, it's a bit of an outlier. It's, so it's interesting. The circumstantial evidence seems to lead, in my opinion, to Mark. And yeah. I'm, there are, and I don't know as much about this as plenty. I wish we had Riccio in the room with us. <laughs> yeah, right? he sure. would He'd be able to tell us quite a bit uh, yeah. about the situation there. But but I, from my my light understanding there it seems we have pretty compelling circumstantial evidence that mark was the the document that they were baking, basing off yes. of and if there was any cue it was what we have from um and i have no idea why they even call it q <laughs> <laughs> but if there wasn't any any of that yeah it, it was Oh, comes well, from the German oh, word go. quell, Good. is what Dalton, Dalton tells us. Yeah, Thanks, those, Dalton. Those Germans and their theology there, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, the yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if there was a Q document, it, to me, it, yeah. it's probably what, what we have from Bishop Papias of Heriopolis, mm. which is... Peter's sermons. Yeah, um, yeah. that's that's yeah. what we were. What was the original scaffolding that Mark mm. was probably writing again? If Papias is correct and accurate in what he reports to us that he was um, basing that off of his memories of, hmm. of Peter's sermons as his interpreter. Yeah, he would probably have pretty good memories of having having you know interpreted those messages over and over and over yeah. again. Well, and that's why we say like the Gospel of Mark is probably as close to a Gospel of Peter as we get. You know, mm-hmm. um, Peter himself says, you know, Mark my my son in the faith. Yeah. Like he is, there, there's a real, uh, love between, um, uh, um, between the two of them. So it's just interesting. You do kind of feel that sort of feeling of Peter, even as you're reading it, there's this yeah. sort of like, there's the unemotion to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gospel of Mark says the word immediately all the time, which I, again, I didn't like knowing the stories about Peter feels like they fit with yeah. the personality of, of yeah. Peter, you know, yeah. pretty impulsive guy, like pretty, you know, um, but it's just, it's just so interesting, but coming back to coming back yeah, to Mark, all the way back. Uh, coming all the way back to Mark. Um, I think with the chapter, chapter one, one of the things that hit me, and as a church, we've been chewing on is that um, Aramos. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about Jesus, and this is, you know, when you get into chapter three, um, he's in the heat of everything. Like everything is really escalating quickly. 
Um, but in chapter one, you just see with him and John the Baptist, there's something about the wilderness. There's mm-hmm. something about um, this rhythm in Jesus's life of um, not just alone time. Like this mm-hmm. is not just like introvert time. Uh, this is time in prayer with the Lord with no other inputs and he's going out and he's fasting. Like he doesn't even, food isn't even a distraction to him. Like he's in the wilderness fasting for 40 days. Um, And I think for us, when we were looking at the spiritual practices of Jesus, and that's a lot of the things that's simmering in the background of this sermon series. um, Because whenever you're preaching a series as a church or church leadership, there's things that are kind of going on in the background. And uh, we've been as leaders chewing on that a lot, going, okay, what are the practices of Jesus? Um, a lot of our leadership, uh, we've uh, been involved in an organization called Practicing the Way, and mm-hmm. uh, John Mark uh, started that, John mm-hmm. Mark Comer. And and so all of that is, okay, what did Jesus do, and how do we, how do we Im- Im- implement that into our own mm-hmm. lives, you know? Um, but one of those things that is so... You know, we could talk about Sabbath, we could talk about rhythm, mm-hmm. um, but this idea of the Aramos is just so interesting to me, yeah. and I've, I've chewed on it a lot more. And as I've looked back over even just the landscape of my own life, um, some of the times where I felt like I learned the most were in those sort of proverbial wilderness times. Yeah. Sometimes whether I, some, I did do some like camping by myself mm-hmm. one time with my dog and, and just me in a tent and a Bible. And I brought, I think I brought, I didn't even bring a guitar, um, but I fasted, brought water. And, and I do feel like the Lord showed up in a big way in that mm-hmm. season. But other times where sometimes you're doing missions work and you find yourself with a lot of time on your hands, which yeah. sometimes happens on the mission field yeah. or, yep. or you're just away from people and normal distractions because you're in such a different culture or something, you know, the, that wilderness time, um, is so formative and it's, and you have to really go out of your way these days to get that. Like mm. you have to really purposefully choose, yeah. like, I want to get away and get some space. Yeah. And that was a, a big part of what we talked about in our fasting season. You know, I'm, I'm thinking as you're, my brain's just going off on a, um, I wouldn't call it a tangent. It's, it's going down the rabbit hole that, that you've picked right now, a Ramos <laughs> and wilderness. And I'm, Remembering something uh, vaguely in the back of my mind I'm, I'm, that I'm thinking is probably a Bible Project podcast, Tim Mackey, and, and them discussing wilderness. Uh, it could be something else, though. But yeah. Um, but however, it got into my brain. There's <laughs> there's an understanding that that in the Hebrew mindset, um, you know, there's there's a there's a, a sense, there's a connotation of kind of that tohu vavohu, formless and void, Mm. uh, uncreation that is imaged by the term wilderness. And you can think of, you know, if if you can Mm. think through biblical references to wilderness, that makes sense. And also you can just think of, well, what what does the wilderness mean? What did the wilderness mean symbolically to, uh, because it means something to us. I mean, as we're talking, we're talking about it symbolically. You even Mm -hmm. said like, oh yeah, those kind of times of wilderness feeling, you know? And you said, and even those literal ones, right? But but, but we we have that. Uh, And I think for us, when we say... I don't know, maybe there's a connection, but, but then it's a valuable question. What did ancient Hebrews, what did, what was evoked in their mind when you asked the question mm. wilderness? And, yeah. and at least if I remember incorrectly, this conversation that I'm thinking was probably the Bible project guys, but could have been someone else. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think what they were talking about is is it, it does have that kind of almost almost pre-creation mm-hmm. connotation of yeah. uh, you know this yeah formless and void of th- th- this idea that creation mm-hmm. is in a lot of ways in the ancient Hebrew mindset, a, a bringing of order, mm. you know? And so when God even says, you know, to, to what does it say in, in the beginning of Genesis to, to subdue the earth? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, go into the wilderness mm-hmm. to that uncreated creation. Yeah. Um, that creation, which has not yet been ordered, um, which is akin to creation in that Hebrew mindset and then go and subdue it, go in and order it, go and create in the creation, go and, mm. Uh, forge something out mm. of the formless wilderness mm. um, that's full of all of these wild animals and all these yeah. you know creatures that that are both literal physical creatures but also are sometimes image used as imagery for uh, mm. spiritual beings and things like that you know Leviathan and behemoth and yeah. um, and and things like that and the whale and serpents yeah. you know all this that's so um, interesting I feel like there is something to that too. yeah like that that formless void that like as Jesus is getting ready for ministry, it would make sense to me. And it's funny, just as we're chewing on this out loud, like yeah. it would make sense to me that there would be that season of formless void, that season of wilderness mm-hmm. before he goes into, and really creation in Genesis is a pretty chaotic sort of yeah. situation. All of a sudden there's just this explosion, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus when he starts, it's pretty darn chaotic. You yeah. Know? Chapter three, even when when all the crowds are pressing around Jesus, Jesus isn't even preaching a message. He's yeah. like, just get the boat ready in case I get crushed here. <laughs> like in case it's like gets to emergency level. And you really get the sense that there were some moments in Jesus's ministry that were just pure chaos. Yeah. And then it says he went home and the crowds were so crazy they couldn't even eat. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Like maybe they just couldn't go outside to make the fire, to make the food, whatever it was, but they were like, this is getting crazy. Um, but it would make sense to me that it would yeah. echo something in Genesis. There's yeah. always that sort of yeah. echoing. You know? well, and I'm just, again, like you said, we're just thinking out loud <laughs> chatting here, but I'm thinking about how there's something so fundamental theologically and, and also observably uh, for human beings to be creating, mm. right? So like we're made in the image of a creative God. And again, that beginning of Genesis, God creates and then he makes us and he tells us to be fruitful to multiply, to subdue, yeah. to, you know, to create order where there's disorder, to to rule by, by bringing light, which is how the sun and the moon and the stars rule in the beginning of Genesis and all that. Um, and then you think of... Uh, I don't know if you ever have you ever seen the the YouTube channel Primitive Technology. Have you ever seen that no, guy? He was I a big Dalton's laughing because Dalton he knows he knows. Uh, <laughs> this, this, this guy knows. Yeah, no, no, not not that guy, <laughs> not the original guy, not the OG guy. Dalton's <laughs> saying they're fake. There are a lot of fake ones out there. A lot of guys in Southeast Asia pretend. But anyway, the, the, these YouTube channels Primitive, Primitive Technology was the OG guy. I think he's yeah, in Australia yeah. or something like that. Um, and you just. Uh, it, it, and it, and apparently it was a pastime before it was ever a YouTube channel, hmm. but you go out into the wilderness, into the jungle, into whatever, yeah. and you just try to build using yeah. nothing. You know, usually these oh, guys, all they have on them is, sh- about, you know, yes. yeah, they're just like, guys and it's with just, a pair of no shorts. music. They're just like out there yep. like fast, but yeah, yep, yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, 
And yeah, some of the things they build are suspect. Yes, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of these guys in like, Southeast Asia, they're heavens, they're bringing in a backhoe later on, you know, totally, or an excavator. Yeah. There's like, there's no way those guys with the stick dug yeah. like two stories. But the down. guy who popularized it is just some dude in in, uh, in Australia, yeah. and it, and it is my understanding he is actually legit, which is like okay. takes months and months between yeah. these videos where he like builds a one thing, you know, mm. but. Uh, but just that idea, right? There, there's a reason why that blew up on the internet. I mean, I love it. I watch plenty of those videos, even the ones that I know are fake. Yeah. Um, the idea of like go into the wilderness with nothing. Yeah. And then create order and and reestablish mm-hmm. something, you know. And so yeah. these guys, when they're going long enough, this original guy, it's like he's got a he's got a, a hut in there with <laughs> with heated floors. I mean, obviously yeah. using stone and fire and stuff yeah, and yeah. he's you know and they're you know developing iron and mm. pottery and yeah doing all this stuff. And and you just like you watch that cuz it's especially as a guy but I'm sure for plenty of women as well, it's like there's just something so deeply valuable about mm. the idea of can I just go out there and make something out of nothing. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I and yep. I think if you think of those seasons again that you're referring to as wilderness when you have this chaos in life, you know, mm-hmm. there's something really beautiful about the story and we love these stories when they come up, right? Like, you know, a orphaned, you know, child becomes president. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. or you know, like JD Vance and what was the the movie about his life that came out in 2020? Um I don't remember. A hillbilly elegy. If you ever oh, saw no, that I beautiful saw that. story about, oh. uh, it, you know, the his his memoir that it was based off of was a little uh, political, so it got some some mud slung on it from the mm. political left. But got it. it's just a it's just a an orphaned hillbilly guy with a horribly abusive family mm. who grew up in the hills. You know, he says he was yeah. hillbilly ro- royalty related to the Hatfields and the McCoys or something like that, <laughs> and uh, ends up. Being the one kid to get out, gets to, you know, goes in uh, the military. I don't remember which branch, branch ends mm-hmm. up in Harvard, you know, and yeah. now he's a, um, I think a senator oh, um, or representative oh, um, in, in Congress. Hmm. And, um, you yeah, know, those, we love that story. He yeah, made totally. something, he had chaos, he had nothing, he had drug addiction in his family, he had not a dollar, you know, yes, he had no yeah. resources, and he made something really ordered and beautiful. Yeah. There's something, what, you know, anyway. Yeah, there's something in the story, you know, of humanity that's like just, that keeps coming up time and time again. Yeah. And really, honestly, when you look at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, that is it. It's yeah. like you go into this, um, I mean, even the fact that we really don't, uh, other than that one story in Luke, um, we don't really have anything between Jesus's birth and, you know, when he starts ministry at 30. Yeah. And there's these, and obviously there's that story in Luke that gives you a little bit of an, like an intimation that, okay, Jesus had, there was something special about him. Mm-hmm. So that Mary, you know, held these things in her heart. She like would pay attention to these things. Um, but there is that really out of, out of Jesus's life up until he's 30, they don't really remark on much, which is really interesting to me, mm-hmm. you know, like again, to, to, to kind of, if this was just sort of mythology, you would think that there would be all these stories of Jesus yeah. along his life doing which all these what crazy you get things. In the mythological false gospels, oh, yes. the Gnostic gospels and things For like that. For sure. Yeah. They start filling in the gaps in really yeah, weird making ways. Making up a bunch of weird baloney. But the reality is, is it's like what you see in the gospels is 
Jesus kind of lived this sort of unremarkable life up until 30. Like he yeah. had this obviously remarkable start to his life. Yeah. Um, but there's something that feels so right about that to me, that it's like this is this is not the story that, again, the, Mark is really good at this, talking about the human nature of Jesus too. Like that's coming through. Yeah. And Jesus has grown up as a, you know, most likely a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. Like there's yeah. a, some real working class sort of like just stuff going on. And Mark tells us carpenter. You know, I think you mentioned that last yes. week. Mark says carpenter at Matthew and or Luke. Soften yes. it to say son of the carpenter. Son of the carpenter. Yeah. It feels like, and again, Mark, Mark is, not that he's flippant about it, but yeah. Mark is very, he's he does not shy away from the humanness of yeah. Jesus. Says So he says the carp, he was a carpenter. Uh, and Matthew says the son son of a carpenter. Yeah. So it's almost like Matthew's like I don't want to like belittle Jesus and just say he was just a working class guy, you know. Um, which both of them are accurate. Again, yeah. this is a good example of a difference between the Gospels that means nothing in terms of yeah. you know anything you know important. And son of but, carpenter would have the connotation of a carpenter in that yes. in that day. I mean that. Yes. You know, but, but it feels like it was like one level too far. Yeah. From Matthew. And I He's wonder. Like, eh. I mean, I, I don't know this, and no one. I don't think anybody could know this, but I wonder if Matthew and Luke are responding a little bit to the um, kind of manic Gnostic tensions that are popping up around, you know, which is yeah. one of those central core issues, which again, you see this popping up within the, the New Testament timeline is, is like some influence from some kind of Persian thought of like, basically mm. all things physical are bad that were made yes. from this evil, deficient God yes. and all things spiritual are made for them from this great God. And that's really kind of, it seems to be like that soaking into the air quite a bit and especially yeah. around the church and they really need to address that. Yeah. And so I, I wonder, I don't know this, but yeah. I wonder if to some extent this is Matthew and Luke maybe choosing their battles yeah, that uh, could be. and saying like, let me just, let me just soften this. So I'm presenting Jesus in a human way yeah. that would definitely be offensive to people with those inclinations to, or have mm-hmm. a tendency to think of, you know, spiritual things being good and physical things being bad. Yeah. Let me soften this, yeah. but I'm still going to show you he was, he really For was sure. human. And I'm just not going to like unnecessarily. You, what it, what are you talked about on Sunday? Like <laughs> stirring the pot yes, unnecessarily. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. He was he was instigating in yeah, an unnecessary yeah. way. Yes, and I think that um, yeah, that could be you know, and that doesn't change the yeah. Who knows? It doesn't change what they're 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 all saying that, and eventually Paul clearly talks against Gnosticism and it's yeah. like, hey, this is yes, we, we're not saying that Jesus was so. a spirit and that you know. Um, but you could feel maybe some of that tension. But yeah. it is, I mean, I, just, I think it's just a tension. Uh, again, there are, sometimes there are theological problems to be solved and then there's tensions to be managed. And the tension to be managed here is that Jesus was man and he was God. Like yeah. there is a tension there. Um, but both are extremely necessary. Yeah. It's not a 50-50 thing. It's got to be a 100-100 thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and Mark is really leaning into communicating the humanness of Jesus. He is absolutely saying he's the Messiah, the son yeah. of God. Like all of them say that the, the, the Pharisees and everybody at the time thought what Jesus was saying was blasphemous mm-hmm. when he talked about himself, which is clearly meaning that he's equating himself to yeah. God. So there is this tension there. Um, but it is interesting. Mark just, 
It doesn't shy away from it as much. You don't really feel that tension. Mark's like, I want to show you that Jesus gets angry. I want to show you that he's grieved in his heart. Like, mm-hmm. I want to show you the experience that he felt, you know. Um, all the Gospels talk about, um, uh, about you know, the m- most likely Mary and his brothers coming to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the translations, you could say sisters and brothers too. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting thing. So, um, it, it could be either one. Um, but his family is clearly like worried about him and coming to get yeah. him. Mark goes out of his way though, to say they thought that he was out of his mind, mm-hmm. which is like such a, for me, even when I was preaching it this weekend, like every time I say that, I'm like, this communicates the reality of what was actually happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. Again, even the way that we read yeah. it might, we can even turn it into like mythology to some extent, like, Oh, Jesus prayed for people to be healed and it was so great. And then there was big crowds. And, but we, a lot of times we don't slow down enough to say like, what did it feel like? What did it yeah. smell like? What was like, you know, when Jesus has crowds pressing around him and he's worried it's going to kill him. Mm-hmm. That's not, like this is a very real thing that's happening. Yeah. And he's telling his disciples, like, get that, get that boat ready. I yeah. might need to get on there mm. if things get out of control, yeah. you know? And, um, and this is like, this is, this is a very real sort of thing that's going on. And then this phrase that comes in that his family thinks he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like this, this to me is one of the, one of the times where I feel the most, human connection to the humanness of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to explain that. Like you go, I, and I shared this a little bit on Sunday, but being the first Christian in my family, I had people, especially in my extended family. I mean, my parents were very polite about it. I think they were worried I was crazy, but they didn't really say it. (laughs) Um, But then I had some people in my family that, you know, in, in some ways or in really unfair ways, they'd be like, Oh, you're real judgmental now that you're a Christian. And I'm yeah. like, I'm not even like, we're, I'm being, you know, it's, it was just such a, it was a funny thing to be thrown, like to have yeah. accusations like that thrown at you. But the connotation really was, especially when I was doing YOM and missions work. And, but the connotation from my family was like, we thought you were really grounded and I guess you're not like, mm-hmm. and this thing is really worrying us because it seems like it's like a cult and you, we thought you had like stronger, you know, like critical thinking skills yeah. to not get stuck in this sort of world. Like it really was the, the attitude I felt from my family. So I had to traverse that a lot. So I think what, that's why I read that verse and I'm like, oh man, yeah, yeah that's like, and Jesus is in this place where he's instigating very powerful people. Um, he's clearly he's clearly speaking against them. Yeah. Now we know, you know, I, I said this on Sunday, but it's like we, he he didn't hate the Pharisees. He loved them. Yeah. Um, but he loved the people that they taught to. So he was kind of, he was walking in this line that a lot of church leaders have to walk mm-hmm. where you're like, I think I just have to tell the truth to you in this situation and it's going to hurt. But my heart is, and he said he was grieved in his heart. My heart is that your heart would soften toward the ways of God. And you would realize that this is not a good path, you know, but as he's doing that, he's making them more mad. He's causing them to plot to kill him. Then the crowds are insane. Mm-hmm. And then his family's like, I think Jesus is out of his mind. Yeah. And the, 
like if you're creating a mythology about Jesus, let's say Mark was creating a an out of the air mythology about Jesus and he was just making it up. Those are things that point to the authenticity of the New yeah. Testament so much because you're like, why would he say that people thought he was crazy? Like yeah. you would want to make this guy like a Marvel superhero. Yeah. You would want to make it feel like nothing that he did was wrong and like you would really play up the fact that everybody loved him and... But there is that just reality with Jesus that eventually leads to his actual death, you know, Mm -hmm. that the tension of people plotting to kill him, people thinking he's crazy and people thinking that he's preaching something that's very compelling and wonderful. And then there's people that are just like, I was healed. I don't know. I don't know all the politics here, but I was blind and now I see, you know, like there's plenty of those different characters on the table. And when you see this sort of snapshot, uh, and I'm, I guess I'm kind of landing on chapter three at this point, yeah. but like chapter three for me encapsulates all of that. It's like the powerful people, the crowds, his family, his disciples, like mm-hmm. it's hitting all these key groups of people that are around him yeah. and really painting this very real picture of what was it like to be there. Yeah. And Mark does that yeah. so well. Yeah, because he's really just presenting the evidence, you know? And, yeah. I, and I think one thing that's really central to any healthy group of followers of Jesus, um, any healthy facet of the church is, is the open handedness. Yeah. You know, I th- that, that, that's why it's out of Christianity. One of the reasons why out of Christianity has grown the idea of freedom of religion yeah. is because although you know, the track record of 2000 years of church and mm-hmm. um christendom does not show <laughs> there's some ups and downs yeah that doesn't show all, <laughs> good, all, good all freedom of religion yeah. at the end yeah. of the day those who are really are reading the bible carefully and trying to follow jesus carefully realize this isn't real unless it's real yes you know and this isn't and and, and this isn't a relationship with Jesus if it isn't chosen. Yeah. Um, even though there's so much to be, and it, uh, perhaps that's part of the reason why Western culture is, is such a huge um, uh, individualistic bent too, is yeah. is because something really central to who we are as a follower of Jesus is someone who's chosen for myself yeah. to follow Jesus. Now that, that yeah. we miss a lot that's really valuable about the fact that, well, we ought to be collectivist too. And I, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best not to fall down that rabbit hole. Cause you know, I can fall <laughs> real far down that one. Well, and Jesus um, talks about the, you know, like at the end of, you know, chapter three, he's like, yeah. who are my mother and my brothers? It's the, like, and he talks about yeah. really the, the church, what, what it yeah. is going to be the family of God, you know? And, and the apostles, the, the, the disciples, well, the 12, as well as all the other disciples who weren't, you know, yeah. of the 12, uh, they went through this, you mm-hmm. know, they asked themselves, who do I think Jesus is, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and I think Mark is saying, I want you to go through this process, probably because Peter yeah. is saying, I want you to go through this process. Yeah. I want you to see all the doubts that people had that were rational doubts. I want yeah. you to see that even his family said, I think he's off his rocker. Yeah. And, and that other people who liked him said, oh, Elijah or John yeah. the Baptist or one of the prophets, you know? Yeah, but if, everyone does. And I mean, at the end of the day, nobody really knew. I mean, again, yeah. like people are thinking that Jesus is going to be a Messiah. And I remember when uh, last year when we were going through um, Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. 
um, one of the things that hit me that I had never seen before, but was the parallel between uh, Jesus and Judah Maccabee. And Judah Maccabee mm-hmm. came before Jesus. And he Judah Maccabee, when he comes in politically, he rides a donkey into Jerusalem. He goes in and cleans out all the idols out of the temple. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus, when you see that, you're like, oh, that same stuff is happening. Yeah. And it's not that Jesus is in, in like, it's not this... Like the important thing is, is that what people saw with Jesus and the triumphal entry, mm-hmm. they paralleled immediately with Judah Maccabee and they're like, here's the new kingdom. Yeah. But at the end of the day, within a few days, those same people are saying crucify him because they're deeply disappointed that he's not bringing in this new kingdom. And one of the things it's like, one of the other things that Mark points to a lot, a lot more than the other gospels is this fact that Jesus tells the people that he heals to not tell anyone. Yeah. He's like, don't, don't tell yeah. anybody, which is odd to us. We're like, mm-hmm. why would you do that? You want to bring glory to God. Even, you know, especially when you read in, in John, John talks a ton about the glory of the father and the glory of the son. And like, you would think that that would be something that Jesus would bring, but instead he's saying, Hey, let be quiet about this. And it's a multifaceted thing, and and not mm-hmm. any any one argument is uh, the full reason behind why Jesus yeah. did this. But one of the reasons that a lot of people talk about is the fact that Jesus was trying to not create a rioting situation. Like if people mm-hmm. were like, "This guy's the king," and word was spreading like crazy, there were enough people like the zealots, you know, yeah. that were like, "Hey, let's just take this thing out." Like. They were so similar to the times that we're in, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like it could boil over into riots and revolution if you're not careful. And Mm -hmm. Jesus was like, that is not what I'm coming to do. So he's telling the people like, hey, don't just let's just keep this between us, you know, that, that you were healed. And then if he ever tells them to tell anybody, he goes, go tell the religious leaders. Like he's trying Mm -hmm. to say, hey, to the people who I know aren't going to go start riots, who are influencing people, the people that really I have the harshest words to say, um, I'm, I'm trying to send them to you. And just kind of like he did with the, the disciples with John the Baptist, like tell John what you're seeing happen. Yeah. He's trying to show the religious leaders, this is what's going on. This is the kingdom of God. It's different, you know. Um, but it is interesting, that dynamic with with Mark saying like, hey, you know, yeah. don't, don't tell anybody, yeah. you know, keep it, let's keep it between us, you know, which almost nobody listens to you. You're, yeah. you're like, yeah. some of them do. And some of them are like, yeah, they're like they immediately, how could I not tell yeah. somebody that yeah. I'm now not blind? You know, yeah. like, yeah. you know, so now something you and I both touched on, uh, is Jesus's inversion of Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and I think that's really interesting. And in, in the, the end of chapter two, the beginning of chapter three, yeah. odd that it's split there. Yeah. Um, as I'm just thinking out loud, like, you know, cause as we know, somebody else put those chapters and verses in a long time later. Yeah. It's weird that they, it doesn't always make sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little, maybe they're just thinking, well, this is the end of this and the beginning of that. We'll put it, we'll split the difference. I don't know. But we have these two stories of Jesus really inverting, um, the, the, the current understanding of Sabbath. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so in, in chapter two, the, the verse that I, the passage that I went over, Jesus's uh, disciples are walking through a field and they have a little snack of some grain and it's on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees say, Hey, that's a snack. You can't do that. Well, I guess you can snack, but you can't prepare yeah. a meal. You can't harvest, you can't winnow, yeah. you, you know, on the Sabbath and, 
And Jesus says, no, man, you know, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Yeah. And then, and then the section you went over, he, he, you know, it's presumably another day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here we have. It doesn't ex- seem like it's the same Sabbath. Yeah. Day. We were saying that. Yeah. Yeah. This, well, yeah. 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 And, and before we record, we were talking about how that, you know, he's in a synagogue now. And, uh, you yeah. know, we were discussing how if what Papias tells us, uh, the Bishop of Heriopolis, about the Gospel of Mark is true, then Mark's writing this again from memory, from Peter's sermons. Mm. And if you were preaching a sermon on Sabbath based yeah. off of the life of Jesus, you probably, you know... Are you saying that you Mark would... was preaching topically? Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh. Wow. That's... <laughs> That's gonna yeah. that's some sp- yeah. spicy comment for yeah. some people. Oh yeah, um, yeah. No, G- no, but G- it's, it's true. It, it's clearly topically based because they're not. It, it can't. It, it really doesn't seem like it's the same day. Yeah, like yeah, he's yeah. he's out with his disciples. Yeah. They're seeing him do this thing, and then it's almost like scene change, different. You yeah. know, Sabbath day. And the Synoptic Gospels do this. They kind of group these um, Sabbath stories together. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be... Which makes all the sense in the world. Totally. It only yeah. does it make sense if you're wanting to write a chronological account, but nobody starts off their gospel saying, here's a chronological account of the life of Jesus. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. hey, here, it's, it's like, hey, this yeah. guy was the son of God, was the Messiah. Yes. This is a big deal. Let yeah. me show you how he lived and what he did and what Luke he taught. Luke maybe tries that a little bit, but Mark clearly doesn't try that, yeah. you know, like, and it's, yeah. So there's these interesting stories and you, I mean, you did a great job talking about Sabbath and that phrase though that we weren't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for us mm-hmm. is such a profound statement. And yeah. honestly, I think it leaks into all spiritual disciplines, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, the spiritual disciplines are wonderful, yeah, but they're not the point. Like there, there's a heart behind it that we're trying to get to. Sabbath is very important, but Jesus is going, do you know the heart behind it though? Yeah. Like, do you understand that it's a gift to you? Yeah. Um, and he's poking at these silly rules that are like, oh, you can't eat. You know, and they, and yeah. it's arguable like what they're doing. Clearly, when he's in the synagogue, he is breaking the Pharisaical addition to the law of like mm-hmm. you can't, you can't um, do As any do, medical do the disciples. care. Yes, yeah. But, but it's worth stating, he doesn't seem to be breaking the Mosaic law. He's he's breaking no. the the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. Yes, uh, you know, which again, he said, you know, I I didn't, I don't think it's in Mark. He says this, but where he says, you know, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Yes, um, and I think that yeah. could be for if you don't understand the law really clearly and don't under, you know, like you mm-hmm. can miss the fact that, and and I think we have done this to be honest. I think the Christian Church, by and large, has swung the pendulum the other way. Yeah. Um, in regards to Sabbath in particular and thought, well, Jesus, you know, I think they misunderstood and assumed, oh, Jesus is just abolishing the Sabbath. Yeah, no. He said, no. No, 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 no. He's turning it back into a gift. He's putting it right back in its place. Exactly. And and yeah. does that mean that we don't need to adhere to the Sabbath? You, you, there are some theological arguments. You know, I think Tozier makes his argument in... I can't remember which one of his books, A.W. Tozier, yeah. where he says... Probably in a very intense fashion. Too. And it just in a beautifully articulated <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah. And this, and there's something to this, although I would disagree a little bit with some of where someone might take this, but he says, you know, when with, with uh, Peter's vision, you know, of, of the pigs in the blanket, I always love that that's <laughs> pigs in a blanket in the Bible. Yeah. Um, and, 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 Delicious. And God says to Peter, hey, no longer call unclean what I've made clean. Yeah. Tozier then extends that to say, you know, 
the Sabbath is a, is a holy day mm. and God has now made thereby, he, you know, he would say the other six days are not, they're common. And, and the Lord has made all, not only all, all things clean, but also all time clean. And so yeah. he would say now, now we're living in a seven days a week, 365, yeah. uh, Sabbath. And so we should enter his rest all days. There's yeah. something to that. It's not that worth I think breaking fellowship over, but there's a, yeah, there's a little, yeah. d- little debate there. I would say this though. It seems like Jesus doesn't say Sabbath is bad. He's like, yeah. you have to reframe Sabbath. Yes. And I think that's where it really comes in. So like, that's why I say, I think it applies to, to spiritual disciplines in general. So there's some things that start off as a discipline that you're like, I'm just going to force myself to sit down and maybe reading the Bible is not a rhythm in your life. And you're like, this is so contrary. I like to just start my day with X, Y, and Z, but I have to like force myself to do something mm-hmm. different. Um, that's beautiful. There's something about that. It eventually starts to become like a, you know, for me, I'm like, I can't wait for that time most days. Like I, I really get a lot, you know? Um, but eventually it has to turn into a heart posture of understanding that it's not just a discipline for its own sake. Mm -hmm. Um, it has a purpose. There's, there's a heart behind it. Like what is that heart? So like even Sabbath, Jesus didn't say do away with the Sabbath. But when you go back to like the Aramos, it said Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness, to uh, lonely places mm-hmm. is another way to say Aramos. Um, he doesn't say he did that every six days. Uh, it just said he often did it. Yeah. So, and there's a sense that right after, you know, chapter chapter one, he goes right into ministry, well, at least according to, to, to Mark, and he's preaching and healing people and all this stuff is going on. And then it says he disappears. And it says his disciples are like, where's Jesus? We just had this amazing time of ministry. Now he's gone. And they find him and they're like, Hey, uh, the people are looking for you. And like, you get sense. They're like, what are you doing? Like, why did Mm -hmm. you just go off into the wilderness? But it was a rhythm in his life. And so that's a good example of like, you don't see it necessarily like sometimes it's rhythmic and he's saying, he's not saying the, the Sabbath is wrong, yeah. but sometimes it's reactionary. Like I need to get away with the Lord right now. And Jesus knew that about himself. And so there is that sort of like, and I think that's what he's playing around with, with the Sabbath as, as an example of that. Like the Sabbath is not something we have to do. It's something that we get to do. Mm-hmm. It's something that's for us, yeah. you know? And he is trying to reframe it and turn it on its head from what it had become with the pharisaical laws that had been added onto it over the years. Um, And I, then it gets to the point where even ministry and, and he does play around a little bit with like, is this work or not, you know, not allowed to do any medical care, Mm -hmm. but what if I pray for this man with a withered hand and he gets healed? Mm -hmm. Like, and obviously for them, they're going, nope, that's, <laughs> you've crossed the line. Like there, and again, he was grieved at their hardness of heart. When the, when the law, when um, a discipline or whatever it is in your life has become so divorced from heart level meaning that mm-hmm. you see somebody get healed and you go, nope, the rules were broken. Yeah. There is something wrong, you know, yeah. like, and Jesus is going, you can't celebrate this guy getting healed mm-hmm. because it's on the Sabbath. And then they go and plot his death on the Sabbath as if like, that's fine. You know, you're like, this is clearly work. (laughs) Yeah. There's clearly some work going on there. Um, But but I I don't know. Maybe we could presume that they, 
you know, did all their things. You know, they they put a put a pocket full of dirt from their house, you know, which allows them to walk further than you're supposed to on the Sabbath. And I would imagine they, they probably did. followed yeah. all their little rules so that yes. they were fine. But I would say plotting murder, you know, falls under yeah. the the category of 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 work. Yes, and he even intimates at that. I mean, there really is sort of a prophetic moment where Jesus is. Like when you're paying attention, he's like calling out what they're about to do. And he's yeah. like, is it to do good or to do evil as to bring life yeah. or to bring death? And just hear him being so death. sassy when he says that <laughs> yeah, too. Like, I do too. Would you, would you tell, tell me again, how does the Sabbath work yeah. again? Are we supposed to do good things or bad things? Jesus does some sarcastic we're, things. We're supposed that are to heal funny. people or murder. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I'm I'm confused. I'm confused. Maybe you could tell me. Yes. You know, maybe after this guy's healed, you could tell me the yeah. inner workings of it. But it is such an interesting moment, and there there are plenty plenty of those in in, in Mark. But in in chapter three, this is it's kind of like the unnecessary healing that I find really interesting. Um, that the man with the withered hand never asked to be healed. He wasn't in yeah. the crowds pressing around Jesus, trying to like touch the hem mm-hmm. of his his robe. Um, he was just at synagogue and yeah. he, he was probably trying to lay low. And I mean, who knows, but he was obviously proud enough. And I don't necessarily mean like evil pride, but proud enough to not be out begging though at yeah. the time it probably, he could have, and he was trying to just go along with his life. And then Jesus calls him out and is like, Hey, come over here, you know? And it doesn't say that he ever said anything, yeah. you know, like he, it's true. he doesn't thank Jesus. He doesn't like, you can almost sense that he's like, I just, I, I didn't even yeah. really want to be a, a part of this thing because he knows the tension in the room. It's not just, oh, these guys are going to argue. Yeah. There's a real, like, there's a plot to death that, like, yeah. the 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 risk is extremely high for those that are around Jesus and that are around Jesus uh, and around the Pharisees at the same time. Your risk level is very high, yeah. you know. That, that, that's a good point, you know, and I'm thinking about it. I've known a handful of people with, withered hands although we don't we wouldn't <laughs> yeah. say that these yeah. you know but in the but the truth sense. is you know as much as yeah it gets in the way it doesn't like all the people i've ever known who've who've had you know i i know one guy who's got both hands you know in that state and it doesn't slow them down i yeah, mean they learn maybe, how to, yeah it's just yeah. it's it's uh, of all the certainly it's not a great situation but yeah it doesn't really keep anybody with a certain amount of determination from living a fairly normal life as opposed to, you know, I know some blind people with great attitude, but their life is dramatically different because of that, you know, as opposed to withered hand, it certainly makes some changes, but yeah, but Jesus is stirring it up for a purpose. And even, even just, again, like you were just saying, even that specific ailment, it's like, uh, he could have just let it go. Yeah. Um, he could have just had synagogue and waited till the Pharisees left and then he could have pulled them aside or whatever, you know. Um, but Jesus is, there's an instigating side to him. Um, and it, again, it's not mean hearted. It's not, it's on a foundation of love. Um, but it is an instigation of uh, of what ultimately is not flesh and blood, but the enemy. He's instigating yeah. the, the systems that the enemy has put into place. Mm-hmm. Uh, to rob joy out of things like the Sabbath. You yeah. Know? And he's going, let me show you a different picture here. Yeah. It's also interesting to me, one of the thoughts I was having along those lines with Sabbath is that, you know, he uh, one of the things that they've done with the Sabbath is they've created out of it and the law in general, 
a rubric by which they can compare themselves as better than or less than other people, yeah. which is kind of a twin sickness, right? Mm. Like, and you, you think of, oh, the Pharisees using this to compare themselves as, oh, I'm better than that guy who's, you know, not following the Sabbath laws perfectly. But it's also sick. And, and distorted and broken for the guy who's failing, who's using it as a tool to compare himself as less favorable. Yeah, you know, it's yes. it's a weird mirrored thing. The pride of the pride that we call pride and the pride that we call low self esteem. Yeah, you know, or self deprecation. Yeah. And so that guy at the bottom of the same coin. Yeah, the from. guy at the bottom is still saying, you know, well, here's just something that lets me know how bad I am and how not good enough I am and how, how yeah. unlike God I am and how far away I am. Yeah. And I think Jesus is coming to shatter that too and say, this is not a rubric by which we judge ourselves. Yeah. God is the one who judges you. He's I'm. He's saying, I'm the one who judges mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I'm the one who knows and I'm going to cover you in my blood. Mm-hmm. And those of you who do this law well and those who you do it poorly, no. And let's just yeah. throw out the means by which to hold ourselves down or to hold others down. Yes, totally. Um, Yeah. And it's interesting, like, even when we were talking about when you were mentioning like church history and, you know, we've had some dark moments in church history, no doubt. Uh, The one thing that you can, you always know a dark season of the church history though, is when the leaders don't let the people read the Bible. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately when you look at the book of Mark, you can't read the book of Mark and go, oh, you know what we should do is we should have these leaders that are super oppressive over us yeah. that never let us read the word. And, you know, we should probably pay indulgences for indulgences yeah. for a sin. Like the the times when, and that's the thing about the Bible and about Christianity, it's like self-correcting. Yeah. As soon as people mm-hmm. get access to the word, they start to look around and go, Jesus goes, look, all the other people, they, they lord it over each other, but yeah. not with you. You're supposed to be different. Yeah. And that's what's, I think, the beautiful mm-hmm. part of, again, the real guttural nature of the Book of Mark, um, the very humanist, like human nature of, of Jesus coming through in the Book of Mark, um, because you can't read that and you can't be moved like it, you, 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 it's hard to read it and not be moved, you know, and it's hard to read it and not to, and not break down systems around you that are causing oppression and that are yeah. causing like, that's just the nature of the message of Jesus. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 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 Well, that is, uh, I think, a good place to, to stop the conversation. We'll pick it back yeah. up next week. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, I'd love to encourage you, whatever you're listening on, I'd love to encourage you to subscribe. We'll be doing one of these pretty much every week, if not every week, all the way through Easter and, and possibly beyond that. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to, to having this conversation again a week from today. Thanks, and have a good day. See you guys.